0: Hello Liturgy Guy Listeners, this is your host, Jesse Wyland, and we have another great episode for you. This week we continue Dennis's dozen and do's and don'ts in the mass. I also want to let you know we are open for enrollment for our summers only master's program. That's a master's degree over the course of five summers. And this summer class is run from June 8th through July 17th, so you can come study with Dennis and Chris this summer and learn about architecture and liturgical participation and training. This is probably the best summer to start the master's degree in my opinion. So without further ado, episode 18 of season 4 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy.
1: I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The Liturgy is what enculturates the Gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're... Called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in
0: fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present the Liturgy Guys.
2: And we're back, back, back for number 7 through 12.
0: We have Dennis's Dirty Dozen Don'ts of Divine Liturgy.
2: Yeah, and only a half dozen this time. If you missed the first dozen last time, these are things that... Drive me crazy at Mass. But let's put it in a higher theological and, realm.
0: And we're doing a baker's dozen, so yeah. we have a lot uh, of these episodes. <laughs> well,
2: I, don't li- we, I don't like these episodes. Well, uh, this is not about what you like, Chris. This is about what the church <laughs> asks of us.
1: <laughs> don't use my own words against me. I can't just kick you out of this chat, that's for sure.
2: <laughs> so I call it things that people do at Mass that they shouldn't be doing or things that they don't do that they should be doing. So this is about bringing maybe typical liturgical expression to a slightly higher level of uh, perfection many of these things are not like ruining liturgy entirely but uh just some <laughs> things to look at think about especially if there're any priests listening out there who have actually you know some authority to regulate the liturgy in, in their parish by doing it properly themselves right having the proper ars celebrandi
0: oh god nice and, dennis oh thanks and that's ars celebrandi yeah that's a pirates favorite liturgical uh, phrase
2: ars celebrandi September 19th is what?
0: Talk like a liturgist day. National talk like a pirate day. That's right. It's talk the only, like uh,
1: a liturgist it's day. It's the only uh, <laughs> Saints Day that I have memorized. Um, it's,
0: what is it? National September? talk like a pirate day. <sighs> nice. And you have to bow your head every time you name the name of a pirate. <laughs> Arr, Blackbeard. The <laughs> oh, yes. There you go.
2: So number seven, following up from Arr. one, two, three, four, five, and six, is if the priest holds the host out to the people during the lines, take this all of you and eat it, right? So this was a common thing 10 years ago. It's still lingering in a few non-woke liturgical places um, where the priest will take the host during the Eucharistic prayer and say the narrative of institution narrative and then take the host, hold it out while he's looking at the people and sort of goes from side to side of the altar in a semicircle as if he's saying those words to the people in the pews. Right. Is, he not, is he not saying it to the people? No. Well, he's. that's what it looks like, right? He's saying the Eucharist mm-hmm. prayer to the people. This is one of the challenges with the versus populum position for whatever benefits it brings is that it's hard
1: to know who you're talking to. So, Chris, back to your doctoral <laughs> exam similarity Yeah, see, this is why I don't like this. You get to bring up what you don't like, and then I have to explain why. Yeah, well, just uh, use it as an opportunity for A, humility, and B, to show your brilliance. Mm.
0: Chris, we'll let well, you do 12 things you absolutely love about the liturgy next week. Okay, if you would come <laughs> up with
1: these things, I'd be answering them. How about I this? Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll homework, come up okay. with, with 12 things I love about the liturgy, and then, Dennis, you can tell me why. Then I, I can write about all of them. All right, but anyway,
2: <laughs> what's wrong with the
1: priest saying, Looking at the people during that line of the Eucharist prayer and say, "Take this, all of you, and eat it." Well, I will say th- this is a good exercise for this reason because everybody should wonder not because we're skeptics, but say, "Why is it that we do it this way and not that way? What does this mean?" Again, not because we're kind of second guess, you know, a couple of millennia's worth of uh, of work on putting this uh, missile together, but um, everybody should want to know why this, why we do the things we we do, because there's I think there's theological reasons beneath them, and in this one. I can think of a couple of them, maybe they're right or not. The one is the one is that uh, the mass, while it's rooted clearly in history, is not an an historical Mm reenactment and that the priest isn't like in a passion play, taking the part of Jesus. And we're all, you know, surrounding him. Yeah, uh, because it's anamnetic. Well, it is. Ooh, I mean, I, the, the Jesse that, draws uh, out the big word, anamnesis, but, but, and I'll but, go back into hiding. But <laughs> yeah, kind of the the path, if we can put it that way, of uh, of our memory always travels through heaven, and so those things that happen in the past are only really accessible now because they are existing along with Christ eternally in heaven, and so that's kind of our 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 source is that we can remember those things with the Holy spirit in the church because they're in heaven. And so I've, Dennis, I've heard you say this before. That's why we don't use a chalice that look like the one they found in uh, um, the Indiana Jones movie. And the priest doesn't come out in a toga and long curly, you know, Jesus hair and things like that. And so it's not the type of, it's rooted in history, but it's not, it's, it's, passed over, Fagerberg would say, into symbolic sacramental currency, mm-hmm. that that's how it's expressed. Right. So Christ, so, the liturgical Christ is always,
2: Jesse, the... You just sorry, told me this is sorry, your favorite e- thing. E- es- esch- are, eschatological yes, Christ. Yes. Liturgical Christ is always the I eschatological Christ. I had to think about Christ. that. And therefore, the priest is always the eschatological Christ in that sense. I mean, he brings all of salvation history with him, but it's not, as you say, Chris, a reproduction of the play of mm. the Last Supper, although the Last Supper is brought in and, and glorified. So Christ said these words theoretically to the apostles. I don't know if he looked at them all and went around the circle like that, but that is one notion. Well, Christ said these things to the apostles, so we, we should the priest should do that like he's Christ at the meal of mm. the Mass.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, uh, but I think there's it. a more important reason. Oh, well, at the point where he's saying, take this, all of you, and eat it. What is the this at that point in this Eucharistic prayer?
0: <laughs> the body of Christ. Not well, yet it's not. Yet yet it's point, not.
1: Right? <laughs> not yet it's not. It's not the body of Christ until, I don't know, we... Until the, until when, Chris? Until until me? After that sentence mm-hmm. is finished. Until, until after the, after the sentence is finished. Tell yeah. me the yeah. exact moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see where you are going with that. Uh, well, you know we, we we would say it's the it's the words of uh, consecration, Hoc est corpus. Uh, yes. So right. and and those words have not been said, and so the this that is being held out for the people to take is simply bread at that point. So, but here's, something here's my to my
2: big concern, and you didn't see okay. what you think. Who are those words being, well, let's put it this way. To whom are those words being said? My English teacher will appreciate that. Instead of saying, who are they said to? To whom are they being said? Take this, all of you, and eat it. Us. In the Eucharistic prayer. The church. Mm. Well, the priest is saying them to somebody. Who, Who is
1: the Eucharistic prayer directed to, generally? People in the pews? Well, I mean, it's addressed to the father. Aha! But the father is the father going to eat the, the host? Yeah, what?
2: that's confusing. Well, the institution narrative is telling God what Jesus did, right? So, Father, Jesus said this. He did this. He came and did this, and it's making it present again mm. in that, like you said, Jesse, animatic way. It's not said to the people, hey, guess what? Take this, all of you, and eat it. It's yeah, telling the Father, yeah. it's the head and the members together offering that sacrifice to the Father. Oh, no, so,
1: you're right. Yeah. That, that's a very common feature in, I mean, so far as I know these things, in, in uh, I think, Jewish prayer and Christian prayer. And I, when you said it's it's reminding God what he did, mm-hmm. and people are like, well, why does did God forget somehow? And I mean, why does he need to be reminded? But I think yeah. that's, that's a part of, of these types of prayers is, uh, God is reminded of, you know, we we go back and re-recount all of the great things that God has done for us in salvation history. That's the nature of, I think, uh, a lot of Jewish prayer and Christian prayer. And so you say, oh, God, you did X, Y, and Z. And then you, you kind of project into the future so that tomorrow, like you've done in the past, you'll continue to do A, B, and C. And so... Yeah, that, I, I think there's something to that. And, you know, well, and imagine ad orientum worship, which existed for a long time. And I mean, it, it's 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 the body saying these things to to God the Father. Right.
2: Here's mm. how the Eucharist prayer, one the Roman Canon, starts: "To you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, and ask that you accept these gifts." And so it does that. So remember, Lord, your servants in communion with those, basically, Father, we ask this, and then it gets to the point where it says, be pleased, O God, to acknowledge this offering, and then it shifts into this telling God what Jesus did on the day before he was to suffer. So in other words, we're going to offer this thing to you. Here we do the offering by reenacting in in an enigmatic sense, and then it goes, therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate this um, passion, um, and then uh, it finishes. So the person to whom those prayers are addressed are not the people in the pews. Take this all of you need it, but God the Father being told and being uh, that same offering of Christ's action being offered again. So there you go. Hmm. I think if people knew who they were talking to in most of the prayers in the liturgy, a lot of things would be uh, better.
0: Hmm. So the words sound like they're being addressed to someone else, but the words are just a prayer that are being addressed to God.
2: Well, the whole Eucharistic prayer is
1: being addressed to the Father, Father. right? Because it's Christ's offering to God the Father that we're making praise
2: and people.
1: It's recounting the acts that he has done for us, and it does that by saying, on the night he was be- betrayed, he took bread into his holy and venerable hands, and lift- lifting his eyes to you, Heavenly Father, and things like that. So that's right. that's that's the context for saying those words, take this, all of you, and eat it, right. is to kind of remind in an anemnetic way what uh, what Christ has done and so it could be present again today. And then when it's done, the priest turns around and says, the mystery of faith, right?
2: Like, it's been the mystery. The sacrament of our faith mm-hmm. has been made right here. And then the people, we, we proclaim your death, O oh Lord. So they have their acclamation of what's been done because they know it, it wasn't being said to them. Once it's finished, then they, they join in their acclamation of it. So uh, look at the person you're talking to is also a principle somehow, sometimes for uh, for out liturgy. You know, people talk a lot about it. it's, it's old and it's the old-fashioned way or whatever. But if the prayer is being said to the Father doesn't make sense to look at the people, right? It's permitted, but then you have all these questions about sac- the fullness of sacramental signification. So that's another uh, another topic, but it's an interesting related one. If the Eucharistic prayer is being said to the Father by the priest and the people together, is it the best signifier to have the, the priest looking at the people, the head looking at the... At have
1: the we ever members? done an, a podcast on auto We have
2: not. I think mm. when I used to work for the Archdiocese of Chicago, we had to be more careful about...
1: All right, number eight.
2: (laughs) Now, Jesse still works for them, so he has to be careful. (laughs) All right, number eight. Um, This one is still here every now and again, that the book says he about God, and the priest substitutes the word God over and over again. So when God did this, God meant this, and God did this, and God, God, God. So you hear the word God like six times in a sentence. And I imagine this is done because there's still some... Lingering sensitivity about God as Father, as male, as an image of a kind of strong masculine thing that some people are not comfortable with. Um, so there's a basic response, right? Which is, no one, even a priest, may add, take away, or change anything on his own authority. But then, anything more you want to say about that, Chris?
0: Is this the the pronoun wars that I hear yeah, about? Kind of, right? Not wanting to call God He.
1: Yeah, I don't know. The, the, I think the the church says this is how God ch- chose to reveal God's, I mean, himself. Yeah, God's self. Uh, I mean, that's no, another it's, one, right? It's, yeah. that's, uh, that's how he chose to reveal himself, uh, as a father. And there's a lot of truth uh, that tells us something uh, about um, kind of the, the characteristics of of God and of God the Father. Um but at the same time, you know, language, the church always admits that, uh, human language cannot and never will contain completely the mystery of the infinite and the internal. So we, we do our best. And according to, as God taught us to speak about himself, he revealed, he revealed things about himself that became a part of our language, but there's always limitations, right. you know, there's, there's a couple of, you know, you know in the creed we say, um, uh, that Christ was born of the Father before all ages, right? So, well, so in this case, it's the Father. I mean, who gives birth? You know. Well, so there's kind of a. I never is, thought about is, that until right now. Well, or again, we were we were um, we had this prayer service this week, and we were praying the lit the litany of the Holy Name of Jesus. Have you ever prayed that?
0: Yeah, a long so time go, ago.
1: Yeah, you go through these titles, and um, it was something like uh, so the. As litanies are wont to do, you go through these litanies of names, and, and there are a couple of occasions where it called uh, Jesus father of the poor and father of you know the the outcast and things like that. And so now you have the son being called the father. And so i t- just just to say that you know our language does what it can, being taught by God's own revelation, but it recognizes at the same time its limitations. Again, I think you know, in light of what God has revealed, and the fact that the Church has been you know working on this lexicon for centuries, uh, millennia, that you know she knows how to speak, even if though it's a limited way, she knows how to speak about God. You know, I remember Cardinal George used to say, you know, wasn't it the liturgy is God teaching us how He wants to be worshipped? Is that that that's what he said? Yeah, that's why he founded the Liturgical Institute so we worship God the way that God wants to be worshipped, and so the church for our, gives for us our good, right? Of course, not just yeah. because God's a tyrant, but oh, if we yeah. worship Him properly, then we grow, and grow. Sure, absolutely, and so you know to you know to be docile and obedient and willing to follow you know what the church puts forward you know is uh, is all a matter of. Giving God glory and sanctifying the world. Yeah. One of my favorite things when you
2: talk, Chris, is if I hit something just right, you go, sure. That's my oh it just brings me consolation in <laughs> my I've never sword.
0: heard him say that too. Oh, me. he
2: does that a lot when he's really excited and he's like, Yeah, sure. Yeah, I love it. That was really good. So again, not the end of the world, but whenever that happens, people are pulled out of their prayer. When God's self God him God itself said, you're like, Oh man. Instead of saying, Oh, I'm offering my heart to the Father, it's like Oh, this priest is using these political terms. He's changing the words. And then you get distracted by the change, and then the ritual loses the capacity to be transparent um, or as transparent as it should be. So don't do anything that distracts people from prayer, please. Sure, sure. sure, Yeah. All right, well, here's a similar one. Number nine. Number nine. It's that you don't hear this one quite so often anymore, but when the end of the dismissal and the blessing The priest says, May Almighty God bless us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When it's supposed to be, may Almighty God bless you.
0: I don't know that I've ever heard that one.
2: Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, people who were formed in the 70s and 80s would have done a lot of these things. So usually it's sort of an older generation of priests who who still do these uh, sort of odd things. But... Okay, so it's not the words in the book, and no priest may change on his own authority. Congilium, 22. Okay, down. However, what are the theological implications of may Almighty God bless us?
0: It means that he's speaking to God, but like as the congregation. Yeah, I can say may
2: Almighty God bless us, right? Because that's a prayer of the membership of the body. What's distinctive about the priest's role in that moment
1: yeah i suppose it's another instance of his uh in persona christi capitisness. yes yes Jesus <laughs> <Teas-ness. So, laughs> so, the priest is uh we've, we've, we've talked about this before the the priest has sometimes he speaks in the in the mass or in the liturgy on behalf of the assembly sometimes he speaks on behalf of himself when he does his personal private prayers sometimes he speaks on behalf of christ in whom play, in whose place he's standing and this is one of those so he's standing in the person of christ the head and saying may almighty god bless you right so he's and the, he
2: has that authority to do that as christ mm-hmm. and so he's been
1: authorized you, by the author to do those <laughs> types of things
2: authorized yeah turned yeah. into the author that's cool yeah. Yeah, but the priest is exercising a particular role as in the headship of Christ to bless us. So, you know, imagine if in the confession the priest said, um, uh, we confess our sins in the name of the Father and the Son. No. I...
1: And, I, and, and uh, we absolve us from our sins yeah. in the name of the <laughs> Father. No. Stop, 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 stop. Go back and do that part again.
2: In persona Christi, Capitis, making real by the doing that reality that's happening. So there mm-hmm. you go. Okay, that was number nine. Number, number ten. Nine. Oh, this is number ten now. We're cruising along this time. Yeah. Um, this is the dreaded and problem. A and D. Now there's a number of things that go wrong with the ends of the world, and this is a high level of nitpickery. I will admit. <laughs> nitpickery. But do you ever like you ask someone? Oh, could you say grace at meals? And they go, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like. Okay, you've named three persons of the Trinity. What have you not done? You have not said, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's actually
1: the full sign of the cross. You know, and to, it, and it, of. It's funny you should mention that because just, I just started noticing it this week is that in, in our meal prayers at night, everybody begins with in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. But by the time you know we go through the bless us our Lord part and we get to the end, Everybody's just Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right. Right.
2: And it's understandable. This is how language works. It's hard to say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of <laughs> you the, kind the of You kind of sounded Italian
0: there. In the name of the Father and of the Son. Yeah. Well,
2: this is how, uh, you know, speakers and singers are taught to articulate by adding a little uh between certain consonants. And of the Son and Son and of the Father. And so if you're in a concert <laughs> hall that's what you uh, that's what you do to let your D's uh, be heard this is a com you know thing when you hear singers they say the word of the Lord and you're like the Lord or is it the Lord right so um, here we go but why is it important to say then to make the sign of the cross with all the words in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy
0: Spirit now of course we hope God understands our intention. Because it it's it's uh, referencing our baptismal promise.
2: Absolutely. Right. So if the priest... Here, Chris, you're, you're big on the validity. I can't of believe I got that right. If the priest poured water over sure. Lars at his baptism and said, <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I baptize you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would that be valid? Uh, I think
1: so. Oh, really? Certainly. Well, I don't know. Is the name but, <laughs> of necessary? I don't... It's... I don't know. I mean, that's not the form. It would certainly be illicit. But at the point that you have to ask the question, just do it right so you don't have <laughs> to ask the question.
2: And I remember this many years ago. you know, To pray in the name of the Father is very odd, right? Because we can't take the authority of the Father. We take the authority of Christ because we're baptized into Christ. So we say, Father, in the name of Jesus, He's he's authorized me to pray to you. So to say, in the name of the Father... It's like, how, you don't pray in the name of the Father. You never do. And that's not what this sign of the cross is saying. It's actually kind of the second half of an implied sentence. I have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a kind of um, reminder to ourselves that we are baptized in the name of all three persons of the Trinity. But also, hmm. you could probably say it's kind of an activation of our baptismal dignity in a way. That's why prayers open with this. We have the authority to pray. To the Father because we've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the and of is in there. And a lot of people leave them out. Hmm. Now what's distinct from that but very similar is the blessing at the dismissal, which also has the persons of the Trinity mentioned, but slightly different because the priest, every now and then you'll hear a priest say, May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they'll say, new priests do that a lot. But um, why are they not being dismissed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit?
1: Chris? Uh, hang on. Actually, if you were. Wait, are, wait are you. You're <laughs>
2: cheating? It actually, the dismissal is may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. No ofs mm. and two ands.
1: Yeah. What's the question again?
2: How come there's this evocation of the persons of the names of the persons of the Trinity both in the sign of the cross and also at dismissal? But the form is different. So in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is the sign of the cross. But at the dismissal, it just says the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. No ofs and no in the name of.
1: Wow. I'm just trying to verify that.
2: I looked there's it no up. No. <laughs> you can trust me. I looked it up.
1: You sure? I am so sure. Trust, but... Whatever. I have been fuming about this for about 17 years. I am so sure. <laughs> okay, so what you're saying is there is ands, but no ofs. And no in, in the name of. I think you've stumped Chris, and this is awesome. I love oh, it. No. So, all right. So, let's be clear. There, There's two There's two kind of blessing formulas, actually. The one is, uh, let's see. Hang on. Well, I'm distinguishing between the sign of the cross and then the blessing. It's disp- but the blessing at the end, here's one: May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right, that's a right? more typical okay. one. Yep. But but there's another one that ends. But you're still going to make your point. Like it says, and may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come still down no of on us. your and right, name. Right. Of. Right. Okay. So I just want to get that right. So there's two versions, but your your point is still. That they don't say of. We are on mm, the okay. apex mountain peak of nitpickery
2: right now, but there's actually a theological implication. What's the difference? Yeah, well,
1: one. Yeah. No, what's the spiritual uh, treasure to be mind in this? Yes, yes. Does, did you say I'm a spiritual treasure to be mined? Does that uh, mean? Uh, sure. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right. So if you're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that's what the sign of the cross is evoking. And Father Larry Hennessy taught me that many years ago at Mundelein Seminary. Now, the dismissal is, a, is not a sign of the cross. It's a blessing, and then it's a telling you who's doing the blessing. May Almighty God bless you, colon, although it's a comma in the missal, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? So uh, the priest is saying, May Almighty God bless you, and then he's telling you the three persons of the Trinity who make up the God that's blessing you. But it's not an evocation of the of the hmm. baptismal formula. So oh,
1: that's interesting.
2: Every now and then you'll hear a priest at the end say, May almighty God bless you in the name of the father and of the son. Holy the like,
1: mm, nope. you know, you know, just to, to make that point, we had a deacon formation here in the, uh, in the diocese over the weekend. And I helped to oversee the deacon practicum. And on the whole, I get like people who know how to act, who have actually baptized and witnessed marriages and things like that to do that. But I was doing a little Ars Celebrandi with them and after we went through all the ports of points of Ars chelebrine kind of the first uh, practicum was was learning the blessing and it, it, it was interesting right is you know a dozen of us in there and we've we've been on the receiving end of blessings for you know years but to get up for the first time and now you're going to give the blessing it was you have to nobody pay attention nobody got it right yeah. nobody got it right mm-hmm. you th- it was so it's so easy right but now all of a sudden that you're the one standing there in a good posture with your hands used correctly, and making the sign of the cross and using the right words and singing the right music, it was, uh, it really what gave you a different perspective. So, anyway, I thought that was interesting. It really is different being on the other side of the blessing and being the one to give it. It's to, true. It, it, it's Many seminarians it's an art. over the
2: years, I think, uh, like if you're, I think you said this once, Jesse, you were the only person there at Mass once. And, you didn't know what to do oh my gosh it was <laughs> so awkward nobody <laughs> was helping you <laughs> he was it's like he how was many like, times have you done this but yeah, he was
0: like preparing the altar and then he was like uh so you want to do the first reading and I like look behind me and there's nobody else there and I'm like uh sure <laughs>
1: <laughs> just just tell me when that happens okay <laughs> right, right
0: but even here but even here you know father Morgan White was celebrating mass once and I was the only one there and I just froze. I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I supposed to say? The Lord be with you. Uh, Uh, How's that going? Thank you. you." Thanks, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, on this one, and I
2: I realize it's a subtle distinction, but I think the more important thing is, and, you know, again, God the Father of mercy and love, he understands that when we say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we actually mean in the name of the Mm -hmm. Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But if you really have intentionality in your own mind to say, I have been baptized in... The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's a different kind of intentionality. And I don't even know that people know that's why we do the sign of the cross. We don't pray in the name of the Father. We've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
0: Chris, do you do uh, blessings for your children? Uh only when they sneeze.
1: No, we, we do kind of a um we'll say God bless you and trace the sign of the cross on their on their foreheads at night.
0: Okay. Somebody yeah. told me you you know, you do the cross and then you say May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Does that yeah. sound that, right?
2: The oh, Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit would be the proper way according to the liturgical books. No, maybe it's mm. a, devotional prayer different, but if you want it to be liturgical in your blessing.
0: So may yeah. Almighty God bless you, the Father. Father
2: and, the Father and the, Father. the Son and the Holy Spirit. Got it. Yeah. With a good enunciation on the Ds, and the Son. And the Son. And the, Son. And the, Holy, and and the, and the Holy Spirit. End of the manicotti, and then we meet the balls. <laughs> All right. All right. So I have one more and complaint. Oh. And then we'll be done with number 10. Done? This oh, is com- the unnecessary <laughs> and, where people like to do the segue, the segue and, right? So it's the end of Mass, and they're just about to go into the dismissal, and they say, And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. Our- there was a deacon at Marytown for many years. I don't know if he's there anymore, but he always used to go up to read the gospel. I he- hope
0: he's not there anymore.
2: <laughs> well, hello, deacon, whoever you are, if you're there. Uh, and he would say, and the Lord be with you. Like, instead of just the Lord be with you. Oh, my gosh, he used to drive me crazy. It's like, it's not even necessary, right? It's not there. It's, you know, so don't say and where you're not supposed to say and and do say and and of where you are supposed to say and enough. And <sighs> Chris, calm me down. All right. It'll be all right Dennis. Number eleven. Give you something to offer up. <laughs> That's right. It's a pretty easy one. Number eleven. This is when you do or don't say the, or sing the Kyrie. So mm-hmm. there's something in the beginning of the mass called the penitential rite, correct, Chris?
1: Yeah, I think the Yeah, penitential act, right? Yeah, yeah, penitential act,
2: right. And so mm-hmm. the priest will say, you know, brothers and sisters, let's acknowledge our sins and prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mystery. So this is this preparation and then there's different ways to do it. There's actually form A, form B, and form C. Most people never do form B. Most people have
1: mercy on us, O Lord, for we have sinned against you. Oh, Show us, O Lord, sense. your mercy and grant and us your, grant salvation. Us your right? salvation.
2: So that would take the place of I confess to Almighty God, which is form A. And then form C is that is Lord, have mercy. Your sin to heal, heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. So Lord, have mercy. Um, There's A, B, and C. A is the I confess to the Almighty God. B is have mercy on us, O Lord. And form C is tropes leading into the Lord have mercy. And then the Kyrie comes after all that. After the priest says, may Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, bring us to everlasting life. But what happens is if you've just said form C, you've just said Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. So the rubrics say you don't do the Kyrie again because you just did it. However, A and Mm B you do say the Kyrie afterward and sometimes people mm. don't
1: you know what I hear sometimes is the brothers what's the introduction let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate, celebrate these the sacred, sacred mysteries, mysteries. Yep. and then <laughs> I, I just, the, just uh, something, the Kyrie something like... just the Kyrie no confidior, no have mercy on us the Lord have you ever heard that uh you'd really no. go crazy there dennis yeah
2: so they go straight so, from peace be with the lord be with you and with your spirit into curia eleison.
1: no they'll say let us call to mind our sins and oh and then go straight into the, to, the Kyrie. just right into the curia
2: well that is the kind of interesting question how is form c of the penitential rite actually different from a curia
1: if it does say the same words right the curiae Christe curia in it right? well well, that means it's not different. So, I mean, the point is, is that form A, the Kyrie needs, excuse me, the confitior concludes with the uh, Kyrie. Form B, have mercy on us, O Lord, requires Conquins the Kyrie. Kyrie. Form C, they're kind of amalgamated. So you don't have one after that. Yeah. Amalgamated Kyrie Incorporated. Mm. Okay, so that was an easy one. Guess Number what? 12.
2: Number 12. We are getting yes. close to the end here now. This is the end, right?
0: my only friend the end you don't know that song Mm -mm. all right do you know what i'm doing oh i'm not talking hey we don't have the rights to that song did you
2: suddenly feel a little bit awkward like oh wait did did this microphone go out suddenly yeah yeah. i actually checked to see if you were still logged in see what happened we went from -er, -er, banter 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 to whoa what's happening now So this is the thing that people don't do often at the liturgy, even though it's mentioned pretty much in every important liturgical document. And that is silence. This is paragraph 45 of the general instruction. And it's a sacred silence also as part of the celebration is to be observed at the designated times. Now, look at that. Okay, we're not saying silence as that awkward leftover part when the organist can't find the music, right? Or the morning, 6.30 a.m. Mass silence because we're too tired and uncaffeinated to sing uh, anything. It's part of the celebration. How about that? How about that? And so there are a couple of places where the general instruction says it should be different parts. Um, after the penitential act, after the reading of the a reading or a homily. So you've just heard a reading. Boom. Well, just let it roll off of you. Or do you take 30 seconds or 60 seconds and think, oh, man how can I take that into my own self? One of my good friends is father Eugene, Mary, uh, Dawson Hermit of the Carmelite persuasion in, uh, north of Phoenix in black Canyon city. And when he does the liturgy of the hours, he's, he pauses after every Psalm or canticle for a little while. And you're like, Ooh, it's 45 seconds. And it feels very long, but you have a, me- a moment to look back at what you just said and actually internalize it and think it, about it a little bit. Um, It says, before the celebration itself, it's praiseworthy to practice silence. Here's an, oh my gosh, talk about my pet peeve through the roof. I've come to this conclusion, and sorry, ladies over 80 of the world, if you are listening to us, although I can't imagine too many are listening to this podcast. They are both the foundation and the enemy of the church. This is the conclusion I've
0: come to. Oh, We might have to edit that out. Oh, no, no, no.
2: (laughs) Man, and I don't know if this happens everywhere, but the Daily Mass crowd as soon as the priest is gone, stand up, talk, oh, this is up at Long Island, this happens. Oh, how's your daughter? Oh, she had surgery. And they turn, they stand up, they turn their back toward the tabernacle, toward the altar, and just <laughs> chat for 20 minutes right after Mass, you know. And it um, says, before the celebration, same thing happens. A silence to be observed in the church, in the sacristy, in the vesting room, and adjacent areas, so that all may dispose themselves to carry out the sacred celebration. In a devout and fitting manner. I don't know how many sacristies you've been in. Rarely are they silent. It's all father. What about this? Oh, did you drop the thing? Oh, it's at the Colwell wall. You
0: Almighty. ever, oh. you ever have that thing where the priest leaves his microphone on? And oh, then yeah, he, starts, right. he starts talking to people in the narthex, and right. you can hear him in the, the, the whole nave.
2: church, right? Yeah, that's accident, accidental. Um, but sacristies are often the noisiest places. And traditionally, they're more, they're more like chapels. In old churches, you'll see an altar at one end of the sacristy if you go to Rome. So silence is part of the celebration. So, so if,
0: Je- if Jesus is our shepherd, we need silence of the lambs, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. In the good way. In the good way. So, this means you don't have to have vamp music. Well, Father walks from here to there. It's like, oh, while we have this boring part during the preparation of the gifts, let's just sing a song to keep us interested. No, sometimes, in fact, often, silence is part of the liturgical action. That is number 12 of 12. And, of course, there's all, a number of things we could all come up with, like priests who aren't monks wearing monastic alps. Don't do oh
1: that. All right, all right. We oh, have to stop boy, you. Yeah. We have to 16, stop you on a me, day. Don't do don't that. Don't get me
0: started. We have to Ugh. stop you while you're behind. Whoa. <laughs> We've, my behind out of this.
2: <laughs> all right. So there you go. I feel a lot better. Just, you know, <sighs> they say you have to bring things out of worse. the darkness and present them to other people. So uh, I feel unburdened.
0: Well, we feel more burdened. Well, good. Together,
2: we will be the mystical body of Christ and carry on.
0: All right. Well, I guess we should answer a liturgy question.
2: Could
1: you leave 30 seconds of silence before the liturgy question, please? Sure. Okay. Excellent. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church. You won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition.
0: Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care?
2: Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone?
0: All right, this week we have a question from Matt. And Matt says, I was going to address this question to Chris via Twitter, but alas, so Mm -hmm. the crickets are
2: chirping and crying.
0: That is but one (laughs) of multiple liturgy guy references in this question. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm just going to summarize the first part, but basically Matt says they were trying to integrate liturgical chant and antiphons into the parish liturgy, and he was having trouble. And so he says, long preamble aside... How have you or others successfully introduced antiphonal singing to the average parish? Is it better to rip the band aid off and jump right <laughs> into <laughs> the deep end of the liturgical jacuzzi? <laughs> hey, oh, is, oh, I did. Love boy. it. What my, I don't <laughs>
2: love, though, is he said I was going to ask Chris this question. Yeah, I know.
0: okay. Well, oh, no, said too. No, he was making a joke. He was going to ask Twi- Chris on Twitter, but oh, Chris I doesn't see have to. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He says, Is my gradual approach doomed to fail gradual approach that is awesome this is like a
2: question after your own heart Jesse
0: it it would be really helpful to hear some practical suggestions about how to help bring our parishioners along as we work to reform our worship thank you for the work I'm a big fan of the podcast but I'm feeling really discouraged by the difficulty of fixing the issues that the church is facing.
2: Isn't that always the case? We Good get to question. Hang around in Good the question, Matt. Stratosphere of academia and liturgy guys' microphones and say, oh, you should do this. You should use the preppers. You should use Chan. Gradually Romanum." Boy, is that hard stuff to actually do uh, on the ground. So I have a few ideas, Chris.
0: I also have a few ideas, but I do too. maybe people don't want to hear from me. Well, I'll tell you my
2: ideas first, and then we'll see if I cover any of them. A lot of these things, you know, you don't want to disrupt people's prayerfulness. That's, I think, always the, um, you know, this kind of magnum principium or this capital principle. And introducing things slowly and gradually, I think, is is an important way to do it. You know, you can't just tell people who have never heard of a proper, oh, today we're singing, you know, Latin, a proper chant uh, Because it will be disruptive to their prayer. Even even Benedict Sixteenth, you know, didn't suddenly rewrite the missal because he said it would disrupt um, too much. And so he's letting the extraordinary form and the ordinary form cross-pollinate or whatever. You know, maybe it'll take 300 years, but it's a very slow um, process. On the other hand, you have to do something, right? And so you don't want to alienate anybody. So, of course, catechesis, 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 and explanations. Um, You know what I've seen in a lot of places now where a lot of people don't even notice or don't even care is they'll have a hymn and um, a Mm -hmm. a proper chant uh, at the opening or maybe a communion, and uh, most people don't really notice anything's all that different. Or an offertory, and a fun, uh, nobody really expects a hymn with an offertory like they do at the beginning, at the end, so to have an, a pro, an, an offertory is one good way uh, to start it. Maybe start it on Easter and Christmas when people are expecting something bigger, or to start singing proper as a daily mass, right, so something simple, and people don't really expect there to be a choir singing hymns anyway. Uh, and then little by little, people get sort of used to this and see uh, how it works. What would either yeah, of you add to that?
1: I, I would just, uh, um, I don't know, what's the word? Change parishes, work somewhere no. else. No. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, what you're describing, um, we've done it. Dennis, you've been to our place here. St. Philip's is uh, a small country parish. Yeah, it's uh, like the size uh, of my people, car. 80 people come to it. And what we do is uh, we're introducing it via the communion chant. So as the priest receives, uh, I I will say the communion antiphon is on page 93 and we'll read the communion antiphon together and then right away we'll sing. the I will sing and the little scola will sing the communion antiphon. And I think people, I mean, obviously connect the dots. Oh, that little bit of scripture that we just read before communion is now the same text that's being sung. And so we'll sing that antiphon with uh, Adam Bartlett's... um, Uh, simple gradual and sing the verses as people go to communion and you know they're one sentence long so people can even repeat them even though they don't have any music with them and we especially make sure we do this during these privileged seasons of say you know advent and christmas and lent and easter and we've been doing that for about a year a year and a half and it's just uh, becoming second nature so that's i found that a very practical way to introduce them
2: and you can tell them to listen to the liturgy guys or talk to Adam Bartlett or um, who knows what, you know, a parish could say, you know, 830 and 10 o'clock masses are going to be as always. And we're going to have the solemn mass, the, what they would have called the high mass or the principal mass or something a long time ago, uh, will be chanted, right? and say, here's the text from Vatican II that asks for the proper text and explain, explain, explain. Some people will say, thank God I've been waiting for this. Some people will say, never coming here again, Father. You'll never get another check from me. You just can't uh, can't predict how the public going to react to anything, but cautious, prudent. I'll never forget what Father Anthony, uh, Tony, what was his name, Chris? Father Tony from Newark. Um <laughs> You remember him, student mm. at the Liturgical Institute. Yeah. Anyway, he told I asked him about the rule about changing things in a parish for a year. You don't touch anything for a year as a new pastor. And he said, I don't have a deadline. You know, By a year, suddenly I can turn the place upside down. He said, I love the people until they love me, and then they will mm. trust me, and mm. however long that takes. <laughs> so mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's building a sense of trust, between pastor and people. And if people see you as their enemy imposing things on them, that's going to violate that trust. If you build the trust first, however long that takes, then they'll be more likely to say, oh, this this priest loves me and wants what's good for me, and it makes it a little easier to, to do that kind of thing. Very well said. Tony Biko is his name, for the Tony Biko. Oh, he's, yeah. He's deceased now. So God, rest him.
0: Well, if I could add my two cents here, I think um, from my experience, I think incorporating some of the chants in the dialogues is not only a preferred thing from church documents but it's also like a simpler way for people to get started on chant and start to understand basic chant principles and so it's a very easy thing and very small thing that you can start with and i didn't i didn't mention this in the reading of the question but he did say that he does catechesis you know before mass on some of the antiphons to get that started sometimes you just have a a hard group of people to get this point across to so I, I would just say keep, keep going gradually and use the principles that Dennis and Chris uh, suggested. So
2: Yeah, that's always a good rule. Do what Chris and Dennis say.
0: Then you're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, Matt, I hope that answers your question. And if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at LiturgyGuys or tweet Dennis at DMACC SuperTaster or, wow, just forget about Chris.
1: Mm-hmm. All or right.
0: send,
2: your text, send your tweets to me on behalf for Chris, and I'll make sure he gets them. Yeah.
0: All right. Thank you, and God bless. Ah.
2: Now that's a podcast. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary of the Lake, at Aremus, Society for the Renewal of the Sacred Liturgy, and the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College.